Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And my throat feels like a moldy basement. Uh, hey, that's nice. My nasal cavity feels the same way. I love you. Uh, so yeah, we're we're doing a morning It's a record. morning cast. Uh, it's a Dylan morning has cast. been in tech week for a show. Yeah. I have been recording various things every night for the last three nights, so my voice is also kind of shot. Hey, get that work, though. Oh yeah, uh, but we're gonna be we're gonna be doing some uh, a nice easy breezy episode so that we both can live. And I decided this morning as I was trying to think of something that would be nice and you know relatively quick to put together, not require a ton of mental fortitude from either of us, that we are gonna do another episode of Spot the Dud. Uh, we did an episode of this like fifteen episodes ago, something like that. I want to say where we talked. I I found. And again, today, I have collected four different suites of three games, and I found their GameSpot.com reviews. All of these suites are within a point of each other on their 0 to 10 scale. And I'm going to read to Dylan some excerpts from each of these reviews. God, okay. (laughs) And it is going to be Dylan's job to try to guess which one scored the lowest he's gonna have to try to spot the dud this started as sort of a commentary on like how meaningless a lot of like not how meaningless what is written about games is but how meaningless translating that to a numerical score is yeah because like boy howdy sometimes it is impossible to tell especially when you're getting into the minutia of like why is this game a 5.7 whereas this other game is a 5.5 you described them identically yeah it's Uh, and I, I think, like, the bigger issue is the amount of emphasis people put on that number score. Oh, yeah, 100%. The review itself, yeah. There's a, this is a little bit of a tangent, but there's a, a Magic the Gathering podcast I really like called Limited Resources. And every mm-hmm. time a new set comes out, they do a set, a couple of set review episodes where they go through every card in the set and rank it for how good it's going to be, specifically in limited play, which is a facet of Magic the Gathering. Don't worry about it if you're not a Magic fan. Um, mm-hmm. But so they give every card a rating of, like, you know, A to D, or A to E, or A to F. I don't remember how low the scale goes. And every episode, they they start off by being, do not just take our letter grades in a vacuum, listen to the episode, and listen to our discussion, because otherwise the letter grades, a lot of the time, need that context that we provide. And that's how a good game review should be. Like, there's a lot of... Like, GameSpot is not my preferred place to get game reviews from, but there are a lot of very thoughtfully written reviews that I've found in prepping for these episodes that then have to be translated into, like, yeah, it gets a three. And it's Mm. like, okay, but that doesn't tell me anything. There are a lot of games I love that have, like, five 
or six as their score. And if I was just looking at like five or six, and I was like, I would probably think, eh, I don't want to spend my money on that. But they're games that I love because I played them and I like, with the context, like, yeah, I know why they got a score that low. But there's a lot about them that I like. So. Right, right. And then it evolved into just like, let's see if we can stump Dylan. <laughs> because uh, last time we did this, you were really fucking good at guessing what the dud was. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, so we're going to begin. Uh, we're going to start out with a trio of games in the range of about the five on the five out of ten scale. Okay. So that's about where we're working with. And game number one that I'm going to bust out for you right now is a game that I remember playing with my friends in middle school, Ninja Gaiden 3. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Previous Ninja Gaiden games assumed you were a master swordsman. They gave you the tools to succeed and expected you to use them, having you bounding from walls before plunging a sharp blade into your enemy's bowels in a series of dizzying attacks. The challenge was steep but surmountable, and the thrilling acrobatics you witnessed on screen were a direct result of your skill and finesse. Ninja Gaiden 3, on the other hand, has little faith in you. On medium difficulty, you don't need to do much but hammer on a few buttons and occasionally block or dodge, yet every last kill is a cinematic event. Where previous games rewarded you for how adeptly you manipulated the controller, this one rewards you for pressing X. Forgot how to climb a wall? Ninja Gaiden 3 reminds you every time. Do yourself a favor and turn off the tutorial prompt after the first few levels. Was your mind boggled by having multiple weapons and ninpo attacks before? Never fear, Ninja Gaiden 3 gives re- hero Ryu Hayabusa only a single weapon and a single ninpo. If you oh, came gross. to the series for deep, challenging combat, be prepared, this is no longer your Ninja Gaiden. I only played a little bit of Ninja Gaiden 2, but like, and the DS game, but wow, that sounds like a huge downgrade. I've, I've, I've never actually played or seen gameplay of Ninja Gaiden 3, I just heard it was bad. Yeah, to be, to be fair, Ninja Gaiden 3 was the only 3D game ninja gaiden game i ever played i played a little bit of like the first one mm-hmm. i think I it had that a demo was... on ps3 see no no i'm i'm talking like ninja gaiden nes my dude uh, uh what <laughs> yeah oh oh i thought we were talking about like the 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 team ninja uh koei tecmo oh games. so you know that's why i said like ninja gaiden 3 was the only one i played of the 3d games oh but i wait. did play some of ninja gaiden nes when i was oh god it, really got young. it um i actually i own ninja gaiden 2 on uh i have the cartridge the NES okay cartridge. yeah 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 those games kick your butt <laughs> those games fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh that game that game fucks <laughs> Uh, next game in this general echelon that we're talking about, Taz Wanted. You know. Like Taz, the the Tasmanian tiger? Oh no, I'm talking Taz, the Tasmanian devil. I meant Tasmanian devil. Looney Tunes, my motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry, Slug line line for this review, all the the authentic cartoon characters in the world couldn't make this game fun. The voracious Tasmanian Devil, or Taz for short, who's famous for his loud, incoherent gibbering, his ability to turn into a hyperactive brown whirlwind, and his love of eating pretty much anything, has been a member of Warner Bros. classic Looney Tunes cartoon cast for years. So it would make sense for him to eventually become the star of his own game. And Taz Wanted gets off to a good start. The game features colorful, cartoon-style, flat-shaded graphics, a decent soundtrack, and voice acting ripped straight from the cartoons. 
But after you play Taz Wanted and struggle with its terrible camera angles and repetitive tasks, you'll probably agree that all the authentic cartoon characters in the world couldn't make this game fun, even if Taz Wanted does compact with an extra free game. And there's a lot of boring stuff about the game, and then the final review, the final paragraph of the review. Who should actually get Taz Wanted? Parents who want to occupy their young, ch their young children. Children who are so young they don't know enough to find Taz Wanted's poor gameplay to be frustrating, maybe. Or fanatical Looney Tunes fans who have to collect every last little Warner Bros. souvenir, maybe. Everyone else would probably be better off giving it a pass. I want to point out, this is still in the, like, 5 out of 10 range. Yeah, because, uh... I got nothing. Yeah, and, and again, I am skipping over the meat of the review, but when you think about how you want to write a review... Your opening paragraph and closing paragraph should probably sum up, like, the general feel. <laughs> and if yeah. the general feel is that negative, why are you giving it a 5 out of 10? Honestly, I think it's because most... A 5-point system would be a lot more succinct than a 10-point system. Oh, I yeah, 100%. People have more points than they know what to do with. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. A final game in this uh, trio, and then I'm going to have you spot the dud. It's a game we talked about before, I think maybe in the episode... The previous episode of Spot the Dud, it's Buck Bumble. Oh my f- <laughs> I thought that might get a good reaction from you. Oh, holy shit. Argonaut's Buck Bumble has the look and feel of a first-generation Nintendo 64 game that missed its boat. Simply put, the game is a mission-based, character-driven adventure shooter that attempts to ape the Super Mario 64 world, but ends up making a bit... Oh, I, I read that as... I read World as part of that title, and I was like, what the fuck game are you talking about? Man, I would play the shit out of Super Mario 64 World. No, attempts to ape the world of Super Mario 64, but ends up making a bit of a monkey of itself instead. Final, final paragraph. In spite of all the obvious flaws, Buck Bumble is not a terrible game. It's just not a good game, and the rewards do not make up for the dull, tugging experience it quickly becomes. Add to that the use of dense fog as a graphical clutch, controls that make you turn more like a greyhound bus than a bee, and a seemingly spacious world until you bump into the sky and get sent back down, Truman Show style, and you're bound to be disappointed. And much like in the Truman Show, once you've made your way out of this game, you'll be glad to risk the uncertainty of the outside world, and likely not want to go back in. So, Buck Bumble is an utterly forgettable game, except for the title music. True. <laughs> However, we've got What's I, feel up? Like, I feel like, uh publications have something out for uh for licensed games so i'm gonna go with uh looney tunes as you're the thinking dud. that taz wanted is the dud i think taz wanted is the dud you are correct taz Fuck wanted yeah. came in at 5.1 buck bumble just edged it out at 5.2 and ninja gaiden 3 came in at a respectable 5.5 this game dylan... isn't terrible 5.2 yeah <laughs> Dylan continues to be real good at this game. I'm going to close these tabs so my Google Chrome starts stops chugging. I have so many GameSpot that's, uh, tab, that, that's tabs fair. open right now. <laughs> and boy, howdy, GameSpot likes their embedded their ads. things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I just know, at least for some of these, they, they do like a bullet-pointed, like, good, good and bad. So I'm going to start uh, reading those out as well, because that might be uh, useful. Illuminating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, this next trio... All come from the three region, between oh, three Lord. and four. So we're dipping down a little lower. Yeah. Gonna start with Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Republic Heroes. Okay. Slugline, 
This platformer based on the Star Wars cartoon TV series tries to copy the Lego game formula, but gets just about everything wrong. <laughs> you wouldn't think that mimicking the Lego platformers would be all that difficult. Few gaming franchises have been so high profile over the past four years. This was written in 2009. With the developer Traveler Ta Traveler's Tales using the colorful blocks to playfully recreate all six Star Wars movies, the original Indiana Jones trilogy, and nearly 75 years of Batman comics. So there really is no excuse for such a lame ripoff as Star Wars The Clone Wars Republic Heroes. I just want to point out that game title contains two colons because what the fuck are we even That's doing gross. anymore as a society? Well, I mean, it's, it is a game subtitle for Star Wars The Clone Wars. I'm aware, but still. I don't, I don't know how you would fix that because if it has to be branded under Star Wars The Clone Wars... Yeah, the double colon just always looks... I've, I've read it so many times today as I was reading through this review, and it continues to look very wrong. Chrome Studios messes up nearly every single aspect of the familiar LEGO formula, turning what should have been a quick-paced romp with Cartoon Jedi into a dreary mess of clunky controls and confusing level design. Final paragraph. Star Wars The Clone Wars Republic Heroes is the Jar Jar Binks of 3D platformers. <laughs> Even the most die-hard Star Wars fan will have a hard time stomaching this disappointing effort. All of the control problems, confusing level design, and weird camera positions create a perfect storm of stupid that makes for one spectacularly frustrating platformer. The good accurately recreates the character settings and visual style of the TV series. The bad awkward, unresponsive controls, confusing, and le confusing level design and art, terrible camera angles, and repetitive mission combat and puzzles. Next up, we've got... <laughs> Backyard Wrestling 2, There Goes the Neighborhood. What? There was, a back, there was a backyard wrestling? Backyard like, this wrestling. is like backyard sports, right? No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit, could you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine? though? <laughs> Yo, Pablo kicking ass. <laughs> Pablo Sanchez, my boy, just taking fools out. Yeah, dude, he's got oh. it down. He's oh got my it down God. on lock. I want that game now. Anyway, this is worse <laughs> I'm than so that. I'm disappointed that's not what I'm getting. <laughs> the original Backyard Wrestling game was released last year, yikes, uh, and despite the fact that it was an all-around poor effort, it still showed the slightest glimmers of hope that maybe, just maybe, the franchise could eventually become the entertaining, hardcore alternative to standard wrestling games that it aspired to be. With Backyard Wrestling 2, it's now apparent that those hopes and dreams have been almost completely dashed. The sequel suffers from basically being the exact same game that came out last year, but with a couple of half-baked gameplay changes thrown in that make the game even easier than it was before. Furthermore, there's an arduously long and dull career mode that could only be less entertaining if it was capable of giving you a painful rash of some sort. This game is just flat-out bad, and in most every way you can think of, and for a franchise with such promise and potential, that's a truly disheartening thing. That in short, like that should be the dud, but I don't think it is. In short, Continue. you don't want to play Backyard Wrestling 2. This game is everything you hated about the last one, but it's been spray-painted over with a few cheap gimmicks to try to gussy up what ultimately amounts to a pretty pitiful package. If you like hardcore wrestling, go buy some videos or DVDs, because most of all the brief snippets of video found in this game can be found just about anywhere else in extended form, and in better quality format. And when you factor in that these snippets of video are about a billion times more entertaining than this game, you're really left with no reason at all to entertain the notion of picking up Backyard Wrestling 2. The Good more wrestlers and personalities you've actually heard of, real-life hardcore wrestling footage that's actually entertaining to watch, and a decent soundtrack. The bad? Somehow manages to make the concept of people beating one another with fluorescent light tubes completely and totally boring. Glitchy, unpleasant-looking visuals, glitchy, unpleasant-playing gameplay, glitchy, unpleasant-sounding audio, and only two modes of play, neither are any good. 
This might be the dud. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep going. And next up, a game that I didn't know existed, Fight Club. I did know this existed. I have never seen a single screenshot. I just, oh, they're, I they are bad to look at with my eyeballs. I'll send you one. Okay, good. Right now. Oh. <laughs> why is... Why is... Wait, is that Fred Durst? <laughs> Chris? Yeah? Is that Fred Durst? Oh, just wait for it, Mole Prayer. I'm gonna start reading now. Okay. <laughs> Given the anti-materialist undertones of the 1999 movie Fight Club, it seems a little bit strange that it has been spun off into a video game, especially this long after the fact. This was 2004. Yeah, I figured. Granted, Fight Club is a modern classic, and its surprising story, dark humor, and graphic depiction of raw fistfights still hit home today just as strongly as ever. A Fight Club game doesn't necessarily seem like that great of an idea to begin with, but a fighting game based on the movie at least basically seems to make sense. Such a game would hopefully capture the sheer intensity and brutality of the movie's battles between men fed up with a stifling society who are looking for a pure, primal release of all their emotions and frustrations. Unfortunately, Fight Club, the, the game, in stark contrast to publisher Vivendi Universal's far more successful movie-to-game efforts earlier this year, is a resounding failure. Unless you're a masochist Fight Club fan looking to purposefully has your, have your sensibilities offended, then you'd be well advised to stay far away from this game. I'm going to read into the second paragraph because it is so good. Okay. Want proof? When you finish Fight Club Story Mode, which is a series of mind-numbingly easy and repetitive battles punctuated by poorly pre-rendered images overlaid with terrible voiceover that's rife with pointless swearing, and which has the audacity to try and tie in with the events of the film, you unlock Limp Biscuit frontman Fred Durst as a playable character. You know, because anti-consumerism. His distinctively harsh rap-rock vocals, which are completely incongruous with the Dust Brothers' electronic music featured in the movie and some parts of the game, are also used to quickly establish in the opening cutscene that the game isn't going to try to do a good job of being faithful to the spirit of the movie. Man, the early to mid-2000s were fucking crazy. They were a weird era. Like, they were a really trashy era. Like, (laughs) you ever, like, watch a movie from, like... That takes place in modern day from the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, oh, wow. Like, there's something kind of grimy about everything. was gross. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's your trio. trio. You've got Fight Club, the movie tie-in game, Star Wars, colon, The Clone Wars, colon, Republic Heroes, and Backyard Wrestling 2, There Goes the Neighborhood. This is a really hard one because, like, even though in text. It oh, I'm sorry. Like I didn't back- give you the uh, the good and the bad for Fight Club. Okay, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) The good, you can beat up Fred Durst. (laughs) The bad, Fred Durst is in the game. Simplistic (laughs) gameplay and bad sound effects. (laughs) I needed to share that with you. (laughs) This is the, uh... This is the same era that gave us Godsmack and Prince of Persia. (laughs) I stand alone. Alright, anyway... Yeah, okay. Oh, this is a hard one, dude. My gut instinct would be to go with the the backyard uh wrestling because it is you know, the the review was so overly like this is wasted potential. It's a complete waste. It's terrible. There's nothing of value here. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's got it's going to be Star Wars. <laughs> You're going with Star Wars? I'm going with Star Wars. It was in fact Backyard Wrestling 2. Fuck. Okay. Well, Backyard Wrestling Two bringing in at a at a meaty three point four. Star Wars: The Clone Wars: Republic Heroes at three point five, and inexplicably Fight Club at three point seven. 
Well, it, it's better than it's, it's better than backyard wrestling. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're one for one. I've got two more of these. But before we get to that, why don't we slide into that young playbill? All right. Talk about what else is going on. Talk about our lives. Uh, I've got some real stinkers coming up after that. But first, let's keep on rolling. So hi guys, we're in the playbill now, and we're gonna talk about talk about some other stuff that's going on. First off, we mentioned this last week, but we are now a part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network, which means that you're gonna be hearing uh, pre-roll promos for other shows on the network. There's gonna be an ad right after the playbill as well, before we get back into the show. Just talking about other shows on the network, it's a whole network of people making podcasts about video games from different perspectives. So there's us looking at it from sort of the storytelling angle, there's a couple shows looking at it from a, uh, a game design perspective, like Game Dev Diaries. There's a couple of games or shows that are just people hanging out and talking about games, like the Super Gamer Bros. Uh, I've been listening to a bunch of them recently just to familiarize myself with these people that we're working with now. There's a lot of really mm-hmm. good shows that you can find, uh, and we're going to be trying to make a point of retweeting them on our Twitter account. But really, go share the word, listen to some of these other shows, Tell If you go there and are interacting with any of their fans, mention our show. And we're all just trying to help each other kind of build our shows and build our... Blossom. Uh, and blossom. Yeah, we're all trying to blossom together. Yeah, a- yeah. The HP Video Game Podcast Network. Blossom together. Um, <laughs> that was real dumb, but here we are. Uh, it's it's that kind of morning. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are both there. Hey, Dylan. What are up? we... What is your favorite mecha anime it's probably turn a gundam but that's not what we talk about on dude you remember macross <laughs> man that segue was buttery smooth <laughs> d-u-d-e you remember macross uh is a show where me and uh our mutual friend coop uh we we talk about we we look at old 80s anime and we we uh you know, we we give like a plot by uh, beat by beat breakdown of the plot of a collection of episodes, and you know we we usually talk about the implications of the characters. Uh, try to look at it through like a cultural lens of like what might have been going down with uh, that time culturally in Japan. Uh, I'm sorry, this is really rambly, but uh, <laughs> you know we we talk about '80s mecha anime. Uh, now we're watching Gunbuster. Uh, we are on anchor.fm slash dude you remember. We are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. I love you. Uh, another show you should definitely go check out is The Unexplored Places. It is a podcast, an actual play podcast about storytelling and previously about spooky shit in Ohio and upcomingly about weird shit in space. Um, it's a show run by our friend Christine, season one, which wrapped about a month, month and a half ago. Uh, use the Monster of the Week system to tell a story about, you know, kids solving mysteries in rural Ohio. Uh, We're currently going through several sort of interstitial mini-arcs to tide over until Season 2, which should be coming out starting sometime in October. We recently played a game called Oh Shit, Bigfoot Stole My Car with my best friend's birthday present inside, which was hilarious. And currently, uh, we're running through a three-episode arc using Fiasco titled catfishes the rock opera and really if that doesn't sell you i don't know what will 
<laughs> you can hear me doing a really, really piss poor Keith Richards knockoff character voice. So if that sounds fun, go check them out at uh, unexploredcast.libsyn.com or by going to Twitter and looking for at unexploredcast. While you're on Twitter, give me a follow. I'm at CJWilsonVA. I tweet about shit that's going on uh, professionally, and I also post dumb memes that I think are funny. Dylan, this is where you plug your Twitter handle. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, if it's you okay. guys want to check out my shit posts <laughs> and stuff, uh, you can find me at the Dilla. That is T-H-A underscore D-I-L-A. This is why I wanted to do Spot the Dud. Because it means so, Dylan yeah, it, can relax. And one more thing before we get back into the episode. We are on Patreon. Patreon.com slash BSGpod is how we are supported. It's how we are uh, keeping keeping the lights on. We leave the lights on for you, like Motel 6. Except the lights <laughs> in this case are our website. And by we keep it on, I mean you keep it on by paying us so that we can keep a website. I lost the thread a little bit there. But anyway, thank you to everyone who is a patron on on Patreon. It means the world to us that we have the support that we do. If you like what we're doing and you want to support us and you want to help us uh, make the show better and make more shows and upgrade our recording equipment and all that kind of stuff, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the place to do that. And now, hey Dylan, are you ready to really scrape the bottom of the barrel? Oh boy. We are now down in the range of one to two on GameSpot's oh, review metric. And we're going to start with Pimp My Ride from 2007 <laughs> for the PlayStation Portable. Excuse me? There was a Pimp My Ride game? This is a port of a Pimp My Ride game, my dude. Oh, Oh shit! Yeah, no, I it's coming back to me. I think a YouTuber I watched did a did a review on it. How do you break a bad game? Ask the developers of Pimp My Ride for the PSP, as they have achieved the dubiously <laughs> wondrous feat. Based on the hit MTV card customization show starring the self-proclaimed Mr. Black Bruce Willis himself, Exhibit, Pimp My Ride. Hey, was hey, hey! Don't don't besmirch Exhibit like that. He is not the self-proclaimed Black Bruce Willis. <laughs> All right, you're going to have to take that up with Alex Navarro, as he was in on April 23rd of 2007 at 5.20 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Yeah, fight um, me, Alex Navarro. <laughs> Doesn't he work for Giant Bomb now? I have no idea. Um, I'm going to look him up real quick. <laughs> Pimp My Ride was originally released late last year on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 2, mixing a lousy driving game with a com- with completely pointless minigames that barely tied everything together into something that vaguely resembled the concept of the show. It was a poor piece of work. Now the game has come to the PSP, and with no amount of exaggeration that we state that Pimp My Ride is, hands down, the worst console to PSP port to date. Think of every single issue that's ever played a console game translated to the PSP, combine them all with a game that was already no fun to begin with, and you'll have a pretty good idea of where this game stands. Toss in the fact that Activision is charging $40 for this busted piece of junk, and Pimp My Ride goes from merely awful to outrageously abysmal in a split second. Damn. I also, I need to read the first sentence of the second paragraph. Pimp My Ride takes place in the glorious metropolis known as Pimp City. The residents of Pimp City like to drive pimped out rides. (laughs) I guess it's because you can't, like, you can't have it take place in a real city, Chris. The good. Exhibit is in it. Decent, (laughs) if slightly short, roster of hip-hop songs. The bad, 
nauseatingly choppy frame rate, horrifically sloppy driving controls, constant repetition of the same boring minigames quickly turns the game into a grind, the actual ride pimping process borders on thoughtless busywork, and no replay value, choppy audio, bad customer voice acting, protracted and consistent and constant load times, random crash bugs, the list just doesn't end. So that happened. Yeah, no, that sounds like a sounds like a not functional game. Next up, Elf Bowling 1 and 2 for the oh my Nintendo God. DS. I've seen magazine uh I I've seen magazine ads for this game and I thought it was like a parody or something. I did not believe this game actually existed. Slugline, both games are completely devoid of gameplay, fun and flair. Worse, they are available free for the PC. You'll find pl plenty of elves in Elf Bowling 1 and 2, but not much in the way of bowling. In fact, both of the games on this budget-priced Nintendo DS game card are so devoid of gameplay, fun, and flair that you'll be equally entertained by just tapping the stylus on the screen while the system is off. Hey, hey, Chris, this is gonna fuck with you, but apparently... Apparently... There's an elf, uh, elf bowling movie. Go directly to garbage. Uh, the movie or me? Do not pass uh... goal. Do not collect $200. There's not a ton uh, worth talking about in the rest of this review. That opening paragraph does a pretty good job, but I'm going to throw mm. you the good and the bad. The only Good, the only DS game filled with a frequent appearance of bare-bottomed elves. The bad, <sighs> charging 20 bucks for two freebie PC games is morally reprehensible. There's more gameplay in the system setup menu. Weak 2D backgrounds and character graphics. Crass audio was hardly funny in 1999. And no extras whatsoever. Oh, wow. And finally, so elf, elf Bowling's like an actual like flash game, like browser yep. flash game that they yep. were like, let's just port that to the DS Apparently. And sell it for twenty bucks. Apparently, but that's you get vile. Both of them. That's vile. And finally, two, in this category, yeah, there were two. Yep. Finally, in the stinker zone, in the stinker zone, Ride to Hell Retribution from twenty thirteen. Oh, classic. Ride to Hell Retribution is a hideous, slapped-together action game satur saturated with poor, nonsensical design choices. Much like with terrible movies and songs, games that are nigh unplayable are something of a collective joke shared by millions. Unfortunately, Ride to Hell Retribution is unapologetically, aggressively horrid. Set in the late 1960s and ostensibly built around the exploration of post-traumatic stress disorder that followed more than a few soldiers back home after the Vietnam War, it Ride what? to Hell in... I don't know. No, Ride I mean, like, I'm only saying this... I'm only saying this because I've seen clips of Ride to Hell, and, like, it, it, if it tries to tackle those ideas, I don't think it succeeds at all. Uh, neither, does, neither does GameSpot staff. Fair. Ride to Hell initially seems like a fresh take on video game warfare. That initial optimism quickly wears off, however, as the complete disregard for anything even remotely passing as fun or functional gameplay becomes apparent. The protagonist of this hellish torture software is Jake Conway, an emotionally scarred <laughs> Vietnam veteran looking to make a nice, calm life for himself following his return stateside. Shortly afterwards, Jake's younger brother is killed by a biker gang, at which point Ride to Hell becomes an excruciatingly cliched tale of revenge. Every attempt at maturity devolves into shoddy melodrama. By the tale's end, provided that you haven't attempted an auto-lobotomy, you'll have been drenched in the game's pathetic, out-of-touch approach to sex, violence, and masculinity. Even if Ride to Hell could pass as a broken and buggy parody of the patently offensive, none of the characters seem to be in on the joke. Tragedy is greeted with no more that subtly with no more subtlety than a prolonged agonizing no. Oh and God. sexuality is given the same level of reverence as a pornographic film. In the few instances Ride to Hell begins to approach something of even tangential relevance, poorly written self-referential humor kills the mood. Uh. 
The good, non-applicable. <laughs> the bad. The bad. Some of the worst voice acting imaginable. Awful writing. Controls only occasionally function properly. Almost every aspect of the game is broken in some fashion. And poorly, poorly veiled attempt to pass off juvenile melodrama as a mature story. Okay, so to re so we recap, in this category we have Ride to Thank Hell you. Retribution, Elf Bowling 1 and 2, and Pimp My Ride. I've got to go with Elf Bowling. Got to go with Elf Bowling. That is incorrect. Holy shit. Elf Bowling came in at a pretty 1.4. Pimp My Ride, 1.7. And Ride to Hell Retribution, a flat 1. Wow. They thought Ride to Hell Retribution was worse than repackaging two Flash games on a DS cartridge for $20. That's... Huh. Because I know Ride to Hell is, like, infamously bad, but at yeah. least, like... I don't know. At, at least, least it's a like, game. <laughs> yeah. Like, at least, at least I, you know, if I paid for it, oh, yeah, sure, it's bad. But at least, like, I, I, I would not feel as ripped off buying Ride to Hell. Yeah. As I would buying, uh... Elf Bowling 1 uh, and 2. Yeah. Like, but, okay, I get it, though. I get yeah. it. And now for the final, for the final category, I'm doing it a little bit differently than last time. Okay. Last time, the last category was me just, like, Sort reviews by rating, final page. This time, these are all games that scored above a 9. And it's two games that mean something very near and dear to my heart or your heart, and one game that you have opinions about. Oh. So I'm going to start, first up, Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64. Yep. Paper Mario is the follow-up to Super Mario RPG, The Legend of the Seven Stars for the SNES. Existing in a world composed of paper cutouts, Paper Mario combines the simplified RPG system that made Super Mario RPG such an innovative and fun game with the side-scrolling action that made the 2D Mario game so popular. Not only is Paper Mario a tender bit of nostalgia to anyone who misses the good old days, but it is also a shining example of what Nintendo does best. Final paragraph. With stunning graphics, excellent sound, and extremely solid gameplay, Paper Mario is a quality game on all fronts. The sprite-based graphics combined with classic Mario gameplay make this a must-own for any Mario lover, and the simplified RPG system makes this a compelling game for both RPG fans and non-fans alike. Games of this caliber are few and far between, and it's too bad that Paper Mario might be the last great 2D Mario game. Uh, they did not give you the good or the bad on this review. Apparently they, that wasn't a thing in 2001. That wasn't a thing yet, yeah. Next up, Vagrant Story. <laughs> uh, you doing this to me? I'm doing this to you. Okay. Let's just get it out of the way. Vagrant, Vagrant Story... Story is my favorite game of all... Like, if not my favorite game of all time, my favorite RPG of all time. So review begins. Let's just get this out of the way. Vagrant Story is a groundbreaking game. A melange of the action, adventure, and RPG genres, Square has truly beaten all odds and produced an engaging, seamless epic unlike any other. Despite a few interface and complexity issues, Vagrant Story is a rare and nearly perfected game. The next paragraphs are, like describing the plot to some degree and then yeah. the final paragraph in the end vagrant story uh, vagrant story's disparate parts come together in a beautiful cinematic experience the game's story is compelling and constantly urges the player to press forward giving the game the addictive quality of the finest rpgs while a fairly short game the depth and density of the story and gameplay combined within give vagrant story an intensity missing from most longer games as well as a higher replay value thanks to the new game plus option while the learning curve is a little high even for veteran rpg or even for RPG veterans, Vagrant Story offers an experience that's not to be missed. Okay. 
Um, the funny thing about this reviewer saying that Vagrant Story is a short game is that, like, while yes, it is short in comparison to a lot of other RPGs, my blind first playthrough took me 25 hours. Yeah, which, again, I think I could probably shave, like, five, four RPGs. Like, short for an RPG standard. Yeah. But, like, that's a that's good a healthy thing game. in my book. Like, yeah, I, I love a lot of RPGs, and, like, you know, I've, I've spent, like, fucking 90 hours in Final Fantasy 12 and that's not even doing the side content <laughs> um but all the side content I should say uh but like there is something to be said about brevity and I think that's why people flock to games like Chrono Trigger or Vagrant Story in my case yeah and final game up here in the mm-hmm. upper echelon Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots Guns of the Patriots Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots is the most technically stunning video game ever made. It's also a fine example of storytelling prowess within its medium, combining gameplay and narrative so slickly and beautifully that it's impossible to ex- extricate one from the other. It's likely you will emerge awestruck. <laughs> it's likely you will emerge awestruck from your first playthrough, wishing the experience would continue yet nonetheless satisfied with its conclusion. It's difficult not to sound hyperbolic when discussing MGS4 because every part of its design seemingly fulfills its vision without compromise. There is no halfway. So, Metal Gear Solid 4 is an excellently designed game, and I, I will not take that away from from it. But saying that the narrative and the gameplay weave expertly <laughs> is... That's a little bit of a hyperbolic statement. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, having not played very much of it and having watched... Not very much more than that. I, I never There's really a lot of cutscene. <laughs> yeah, I never really played it after my first time, so you've probably never seen me go through it. Yeah. Uh, final paragraph. If the story-heavy presentation of previous Metal Gear games taxed your patience, Metal Gear Solid 4 won't change your mind. Okay, that, I was about to say. Hang on. That feels to me like a direct contradiction to what he said about the, the gameplay and the narrative fusing in the opening paragraph, right? Well, during some cutscenes, Snake's uh, Snake's psyche, or a, he has a, instead of a stamina meter, it's like based on his state of mind. So it goes down during cutscenes and you have to mash the X button to put it back up. Okay, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Anyway. For anyone who appreciates games that rise above the simple act of pushing a few buttons and pulling a few triggers, Metal Gear Solid 4 is a stimulating ride that you won't soon forget. You'll want to see what happens next, yet when its long campaign draws to a close, you'll wish it would continue. That's not just because it's a well-told tale, but because that tale is woven through a thoroughly impressive game that tops its predecessors. So, Metal Gear Solid 4 is a top. Um, The good... A brilliant mixture of storytelling and gameplay, mind-blowing audiovisual presentations, tight and compelling shooting mechanics, gratifying stealth mechanics, and lots of cool gadgets and weapons that you can tailor to your own style of play. The bad, storytelling is heavy-handed, and the single-player experience ends. So again, I I guess I'm confused because, like, I get... Say, I get enjoying the story. Yeah. And I think that that, like, that disclaimer of, like, if... Metal Gear Solid storytelling style is not your cup of tea. This isn't going to change your mind. But again, that feels like a direct contradiction of this idea of, like, melding story and gameplay. Yeah. Because when I think Um, about games that do that... There are cool set pieces that, like, really get you, like, into the story. Okay, so there are some cool set piece moments in MGS4. The first one that comes to mind is that you revisit the location of the first game. That's and cool. as you are exploring it, it is become barren and, you know, there aren't any soldiers around. 
Uh, so you're just kind of going through uh, memory lane, and as you go to a location that uh, you recognize from the old game, like a key location, there will sometimes be like an echo of like the audio from the first game, and yeah, like they they do cool that's stuff super with cool. It. I like that. I think that's rad, and that definitely yeah. seems to fit the thesis statement they set out in this opening paragraph. But like, also you got forty five minute cutscenes, my dude. Yeah, like I think Metal Gear Solid Four. It's I want to say it's like a ten hour campaign, and like f- four or five of those hours are cutscenes. Let me look up how long. It's to like be. a movie you can play. Oh anyway, God. Dylan, before you before we dive down the rabbit hole, what do you think? Of these three, Paper Mario for the N64, Vagrant Story, mm-hmm. and Metal Gear Solid 4, I'm going to I'm gonna flip it. What do you think got the highest the highest. Review? It's got to be Metal Gear Solid 4. Metal Gear Solid 4 is, you know, that is kind of at the point in time where I feel like uh, game reviews got a lot more of that, like, hype. Uh, hype I don't want to say hype bias, but yeah, hype influence. Uh, on top of that, correct. it no. is the it is the end of a saga. It is the um, yeah. It's sort of the the you know kind of a la how when Return of the King won the Best Picture Oscar, it wasn't so much for Return of the King as it was for like the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fair. It it also it also is a really good game. Like yeah. I will I will talk shit about its story, but like Metal Gear Solid Four is a great game. Yep, you are correct. Metal Gear Solid Four came in at a perfect ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. Vagrant. Then, uh, oh, really? Okay. Vagrant yeah, story got going. nine point six, and Paper Mario got nine point five. Really? I thought Paper Mario was gonna get that Nintendo points. Well, apparently, it might have gotten some, but Vagrant Story was better than the Nintendo points. So there you go. Huh. Well, there it is. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's all I had. Again, like this this episode was largely for kind of ease on both of us who have been very busy. Unfortunately, uh, we'll try to yeah. have a slightly more thoughtful episode for y'all next week my free uh, time will expand considerably yeah next week <laughs> it'll be very nice for dylan <laughs> um but yeah i hope this was fun i hope that you got some laughs out of some of these real bad games that i dug out of the depths of hell yeah, um i'm sorry that i've been like dead all no episode. you are you are totally fine and we will talk to you next week until then thank you for listening to backstage gaming if you like what we're doing Check us out at our website, bsgpod.com. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's the iTunes Store, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places. Uh, And if you like what we're doing, consider leaving a rating or a review on iTunes. That'll really help us sort of grow the show and grow our reach. And tell your friends about it. Tell your family. Tell your dog. Dogs dogs spend a lot of time at home alone. Maybe your dog wants a podcast to can listen to. (laughs) Turn your dog on to Backstage Gaming. If you want to check us out on social media, you should hit us up on uh, Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, If you like what we're talking about or if you want to engage with us in some way. Chris, I just forgot. I just remembered that I forgot to use the hashtag last week. I will fix that later. Use the hashtag BSG pod. Oh, yes. Uh, also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French uh, for the key art he has provided us with. Uh, if you like what he has done, you should check him out at brennan-french.squarespace.com and also at instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts. Yeah. Uh, Thank his you. name is B-R-E-N-N-E-N. 
Yeah. You should also check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. Uh, he's a great electronica producer. He's a great uh, composer. He's a great musician. He's got several EPs out. They're all over on his Spotify, which you can find by searching for BioQuery. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by going to BioQuery. No, that's not how that website works. <laughs> or by going to SoundCloud.com slash BioQuery. Uh, one more big thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for uh, helping us out and for keeping the lights on over at Motel website. And if you like what we're doing and want to help us do it more, Patreon is a great place to do it. All of that money goes directly into either supporting the necessary infrastructure of the show or building it up and making it better. And one more big thank you to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. Go check out some of the other shows on the network. They're all really fun, and if you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs too. Uh, that's all I got for this week. Dylan, we need to go and rehydrate our bodies before we record another podcast today. So to all of you listeners out there, goodbye. I also still need to watch episode six of Gunbuster. Ah, bye. <laughs>